Hey, what's up, everyone? Antonio Neves here, and welcome to episode 22 of the Best Thing Podcast. And before we get to this excellent, and I mean excellent, episode with the amazing James Robolata, I want you to send me a text message. That's right. I want you to send me a text message and let me know what you think about this podcast. Tell me what you're loving. Tell me what you would like to see more of. Tell me who you would like to see as a guest on the show. I want to hear from you. So text me the word podcast to 310-564-7124. Once again, text me the word podcast to 310-564-7124. And let me know what you think about the podcast. I check every text message. When I respond, it is going to be from me, at least after you hear from the robot first. But then everything from there on will be me. And hey, while you're listening, something tells me you're enjoying this podcast. What I would love you to do is to subscribe right now on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that follow button. That's going to help a lot more people hear this podcast. In fact, go ahead. Let your friends, your family, your colleagues know about this podcast. We were just so excited to have such an amazing community, and we just want to spread the word. So really excited to have you here. Get ready for an amazing episode, episode 22 with James Robolata. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include those things that would show up on a resume, show up on a bio, or come up in conversation. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach, and that friend you've always wanted. Each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I met on the college speaking circuit years ago, and I'm so glad I met this guy. James Robolata is an in-demand speaker, and when I say in-demand, I mean in-demand, who speaks to top corporations, associations, colleges, and beyond. He's the author of Leading Imperfectly, The Value of Being Authentic for Leaders, Professionals, and Human Beings. He's also a coach and leads his own Living Imperfectly events across the country. Now, hands down, James is not just one of the most talented speakers I know, but is also one of the best people, human beings that I know. James Robolata, welcome to The Best Thing. Antonio Neves, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. Checks in the mail for that intro. That, that intro was, was pretty gangster. Uh, it's, all, it's all true, and I love it. And there's so much I didn't even include. I didn't mention your background with stand-up comedy. I didn't mention how talented you are at at improv, maybe improv comedy. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about those things in a moment. But first, I just want to get into it. James, since I first met you, one thing I noticed is this gift that you have. And that gift is that you can walk into pretty much any room, even with a room full of strangers, and be able to connect to almost anyone. Can you tell me about what has allowed you in your life to be able to connect with people, even if you have nothing in common with them, even if you don't know them? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it comes from a, a genuine sense of curiosity. I get a rush from getting to know people. I also get a rush from making people feel comfortable uh, and feel welcome and feel safe. Uh, I think that's a really cool gift that many extroverts have. I believe you, you certainly have it as well, Antonio. And I think it's just a genuine curiosity. I, I, lead, I lead with questions uh, before I lead with my own stuff. And I think people really appreciate that. Uh, they could tell that I, that I care about them. And that's, I don't know, that's, that's, that's easy way. It's also important to swing in a joke, swing in a smile, maybe a wink and a nod. You know what I mean? Stay classy out here. Well, you also said something interesting there. Like, yes, you lead with questions. I'm the exact same way. You know, people can talk to me and they're like, dude, we've been talking for 40 minutes and I didn't, I didn't learn one thing about you. Yeah. Um, but you also said a word that just jumped out to me. You said safe. You want to make them feel safe. What do you mean by that? I think, I mean, whenever we meet somebody new, our natural uh, fight, flight, freeze instincts come up. And we do a really quick test like, are you a good person? Are you going to hurt me? Do I want to spend any more time with you? Especially as adults, right? As adults, we have learned the value of time. And so who we choose to give our time to matters. And so in some ways, uh, I want to make people feel like I am someone who I am worthy of their time because I believe that they are worthy of my time. And so that safety, uh, that safety lets, it just takes people's guards down. I think that's one of the reasons why we also lead with humor, right? Uh, is that humor just makes people feel a little bit more comfortable. The shoulders come down and they lean in. Got it, man. Um, you have a gift. Again, you, you have humor. You balance that with getting people to reveal as well. So just the last part on that, that initial question that I have, one thing you do is get people to reveal, to share more. The moments that I, I'm thinking, man, about a moment that we actually had. I, I don't know, man, if we were in New Hampshire, Vermont, we were somewhere way up there. We just happened to find out we were in the same place. And I picked you up and you went to a, uh, <laughs> a speaking event with me. And you're one of those people, my hunch is you've heard this before, that people just naturally reveal and share a lot of information with you. Is that go with the whole feeling safe or is it also um, a trust that's naturally built? Yeah, absolutely. I also don't have time for small talk, right? Like I'm, I'm out here, I'm on a mission to punch small talk in the face. Uh, and I think <laughs> the difference between small talk and a meaningful conversation is a great question. Uh, and And so... Yeah, when we hang out, Antonio, I mean, you know that your safety zone, if I can call you out really quick for all your people, um, that you know that your safety zone is kind of, you know, saying other people's quotes and kind of speaking in and uh, in, in, in kind of like uh, in stories and, and whatnot. Uh, but sometimes you're not always sharing your specific story and your emotions behind those stories. And, and I'm not here for that. If you and I are sitting in a car, that means we're going on a road trip and we're having deep conversations. And so uh, I try to push people past that. Instead of looking for a conversation that is wide uh, with a whole bunch of questions, like 20 questions, instead we go deep. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's, my, that's my MO. Yeah, while you were sharing that, I just had a flashback to something you told me early on after we really got to know one another. And I, this just popped into my head. And I appreciated you telling me this at the time. And I kind of knew what you were talking about as I was finding my way in life. You, at one point, you said, man, when we first met Antonio, I thought you were fake. Do you, do you remember that? I do. Yes, sir. Tell, tell me more about that. Cause I, and I say that not because I want you to tell people why you think I was fake, but <laughs> but but you're but hey, your willingness to tell me that, but also I know what you're talking about because I was at a place when I was still finding out who I was, not only as a speaker, but also uh, in life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's interesting. That leads into uh, that. That's actually my best thing was when I called you fake. 
Um, and so that's what I want to talk about today. No, <laughs> no, I'm playing, man. Uh, so I think, I mean, ultimately, I mean, you and I are entertainers, right? We've been on stage. Uh, we have been in front of cameras uh, and whatnot. And so we lead with that comfort zone. Right. Like as a stand up comic uh, and as an improviser, I lead with sometimes some of my jokes like people don't even know that I'm testing my jokes out on them sometimes, but it just feels comfortable. Uh, and so uh, you lead with sometimes that interviewer persona that you that you were found so much success doing. Um, and 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 so when we're having conversations, you know, you're like you would tell things, you know, man, you know, I have my buddy John one time once told me, you know, if it rains, that means you're going to get wet. You know what I'm saying, James? And so I think, you know, we all going to get wet and, you know, that is what it is. And I'm like, hey, cool, Antonio. That's a really shout out to your buddy, John, brother. Uh, but what about you? <laughs> um, and uh, so there was just like you. Yeah, I'd say that that was a little bit. It was like I, I, I saw you as a delightful challenge to crack. I was like, there's a lot of depth to this man. Um, and there's a lot of richness to your story. And you don't shy away from your story um, and, and growing up and, and the role uh, of, of, of the parenting style that you were in and, and growing up in Michigan and whatnot. You're able to share those deeper parts of your story very easily. Um, and therefore, people give you you give people the illusion of uh, of depth of authenticity. But ultimately, as speakers, we can share what we want. I get up on stage and I talk about my insecurities, about my body image, uh, and how I think I failed, and how I think I let my dad down, and all that kind of stuff. And like people, are like, how can you share those things? I'm like, because I can control the story in that moment. Um, and so uh, I think there's, there's, yeah, that, that's what I would say uh, the comparison point would be for me. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. I've never been called delight, uh, a delightful challenge, but I like that you called me a delightful challenge. And I don't know about your, your accent you did for me, but I find it, <laughs> but I find it funny. <laughs> but, you, but you know what, though? What's funny about that is you're right. Um, there was, there's a long time I wouldn't truly reveal anything about me because I was afraid. That's where I felt, frankly, vulnerable, sharing more about me and my story. And I would feel like the closer I would get to someone, this is a whole other story, is that's when I give them the opportunity for kind of for the rug to be pulled from underneath me. I can't tell you how many relationships uh, with women I was in over the years. And right when we got to that great place, I'm like, oh my gosh, you like me, you see me, you accept me for who I am. You know what? Let me get the hell out of here because this is too good to be true. I've had that situation in my career as well uh, when I've kind of self-sabotaged. So you caught me as I was going through a transition as I was being willing to open up and share more. And that moment of you saying that to me, being willing to speak the truth was was huge for me in, in more ways than you know. So I want to acknowledge you for that and appreciate you for that. Um, but before we continue talking about me, because we're talking about you right now, um, <laughs> before I ask you about the question about the best thing, uh, James, and I call you Robo for folks that, that don't know. And your website, you have some words that really stand out to me, and I just want to learn more about. You say, I make audiences pause. Can you tell me more about that and what that means? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, I don't necessarily know if I agree with the way I'm about to say this, but stick with me. Uh, but I think my mission in life, uh, I think my mission in life is to make people pause because there's a lot of power in pausing. And so many of us are just going, right? We all know the hamster wheel analogy. We're on the hamster wheel of life and we're just doing things and whatnot and we're caught in the rhythms and, and, and we are missing opportunities to connect. We are missing opportunities to share. We are missing opportunities to reflect. And so if as a speaker, I can get you to think for just a moment, 
pull you in for just a moment. I think there's a lot of power in that because in the pause is where you have to reflect. In the pause is where you have to take a minute to be like, where am I? Do I like where I'm going? Do I like how I got? Do I like what's going on here? If I do, cool, let's double down and dive in. And if I don't, cool, how can I pivot? But if we never pause, we can never stop. And if we never stop, we can never go a different direction uh, or it takes a lot longer. So, uh, so that, that's really what I love to try to create for audiences is that moment to pause. Yeah, I like how you strategically put that, that pause in there while you were saying it. And it's, it's interesting you bring that up because as a journalist, over the years, you know, I've interviewed every type of person you could think of, James, from uh, stars, Oscar, Grammy Award winners, to politicians, to that mother who just lost a son tragically to gun violence. And early on when I would conduct interviews, whenever there was a moment of silence, there was a pause from someone while they were speaking, I always felt this urge to fill that pause, to fill that silence with words due to how I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And I had a producer I worked with or a boss that one time told me, basically said, shut up, let that pause exist. Because sometimes that's when some magic is going to come after that. And sometimes the most uncomfortable moments interviewing people, or even if you do coaching the way that I do with clients, is letting a moment be quiet, letting it be still, even though everything inside of you wants to fill it up or share your words or you feel uncomfortable, but magic can come from that. So um, I'm thinking that corresponds a little bit with what you're talking about as well. Would you say so? Absolutely, brother. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, there's just there's this power in those moments. And I mean, I think a lot of times when you hear musicians talk about their music, um, the rests are just as important, if not more important than the notes. Uh, they are all they're all in there. Um, and so uh, if we let ourselves sit in that, uh, it's there's a lot of power. Just wanted to see if you'd get uncomfortable in that silence right there. That I just gave you. <laughs> oh, oh, this is great. Let's dig in, man. Tell me, what's one of those things, man, that you would consider one of the quote unquote best things to happen to you that isn't a traditional marker of success? You know, we always talk about getting married is the best thing, our college years being the best thing, buying a home being the best thing, having kids being the best thing, on and on and on. But what's one of those things for you, man, that wouldn't necessarily show up on a resume, bio, or come up in conversation? Yeah, absolutely, brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take this a slightly different di- direction. Uh, and I would say that one of the best things that was for me was actually during college, right at the end, uh, right at the end of college, actually. And one of my best friends, his name is Brian Grissom. Uh, he's, a, he's a great man. Um, and uh, we were roommates for a number of years, best friends in each other's weddings. Uh, and uh, and so I started doing stand-up comedy when I was in college. And I would just, I would do the open mics on campuses. And I would do, if there was ever a, a, a comedian that would come to campus as well, uh, I would have the opportunity to open up for them because I was one of the few students that were doing this and just kind of grew a, lo- a lot of love from my friends and whatnot. But uh, a couple of years into it, Brian pulled me aside one day. I remember we were driving around in his Jeep Wrangler, topping doors off because that's the kind of guy Brian was. And, okay. and uh, so we're driving around, probably listening to Dave Matthews band, judge if you need to. And he, he said, you know, James, I got to tell you something, man. He said, you know, he's like, you're really funny. But when you're on stage, you spend a lot of time making fun of yourself and really ripping into yourself. And I think you need to know that the audience isn't always laughing with you. A lot of times they're groaning and like offering sympathy laughs. Mm. And, and brother, that, that hit me because 
I mean, as a comedian, all I want to do is, is make people laugh and make people feel, again, comfortable, safe, relaxed. I got you. Let me take your worries away. Uh, and to know that I was adding tension and stress because of my own self-esteem issues and the way they were coming out through my stand-up comedy uh, was really, that was really powerful for me. I have to, I'm curious because I know in my early 20s, if someone told me that, James, I would have immediately, forget early 20s, dude, early 30s. I would have got immediately defensive. I would not have been able to receive that type of feedback due to a lack of maturity that I had at that age. Tell me about you and your willingness to, to process that and hear that. Or did it take some time for you to fully, fully get what this, this friend, I'm going to call him an ally, uh, was saying to you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, fortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was very mature back then. I mean, I'd already started wearing monocles. I was reading uh, many uh, novels and, you know, things like that. But uh, no. <laughs> um, no, man, you're right. You're absolutely right. So I think ultimately what it came down to was the approach that he took, right? Like I knew that he was there for a bunch of my shows. And he would always give me a little bit of feedback here and there, good, good and bad. Um, and he was there for a lot of my shows. And uh, so he had put in the time to see the work and to see the way I was progressing. And also we, we had built a good friendship up. And I think great friends are able to call each other out in the right way, um, even in the right way where maybe we do still get defensive, especially we as men. We as men often lean on defensive. We as men often care more about being right than what is right. Mm. And that's an interesting place. But in that moment, I think it was just his approach and that I knew that he cared about me. And also, I didn't have an argument for him. Uh, and uh, right, I couldn't come right back because uh, uh, it's a weird thing to argue. <laughs> he was sitting in the audience listening to those people. Um, and I was up on stage in my head. So, yeah. When I hear that, I also think about, you said he called you out, but I also know, as you know, in the work, I like to say we call people up. I think we have allies in our life, those people that love us and support us. They're going to call us up. They're going to hold us accountable. And one thing I see a lack of in society nowadays is accountability. And if someone does share something with you that we, is for your betterment, that's for your best interest, we do get defensive. We'll call that person an idiot. But that good friction that people are calling us up with is such a gift for us. But before I go down that road, you making fun of yourself on the stage. What was that coming from? And not to get into a therapy session, but what do you think the origins of that was? And I'm sure even as you go across the country and you speak, people come up to you and they share things. You're a coach. You work with folks one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe you've seen some consistent threads in terms of what you were doing on that stage and what people you've worked with as well are doing. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, where it was coming from is a, low, a lack of self-esteem. Um, I did not think and still struggle with uh, thinking that I am an attractive person. Uh, I'm someone who, uh, whenever he would ask somebody out or, 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 or try to pursue a relationship, it would always be like, well, we're, but we're friends. And or it would be, uh, well, I, uh, you know, James, is there anybody out there who's just like you? You're amazing. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, or I would hear things like, do you have any brothers? I'm like, I do, but they're much older. So me? And uh, and, and and so there was a, a low self-esteem about my appearance. And so that led to me making a lot of jokes about my weight, about the way I looked, about uh, and to talk, the way I talked about women on stage uh, wasn't always the most positive. Um, and and, and a lot of that came from bitterness, right? Instead of being better. I think there's a lot of, there was just a lot of pent up stuff that I was able to finally get out. And, and stand-up comedy, 
is 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 a very cheap form of therapy uh only you kind of stay in the darkness so it doesn't really work <laughs> mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah so that, that's what i would say there brother is is those are the moments that i would hack through my self-esteem issues on those stage and i've i have issues with my my uh my lack of intelligence i think that i, I grew up in a I grew up with the best friends who went on to pursue PhDs in astrophysics at Carnegie Mellon. I got a buddy who works at uh, at NASA. I got another friend who's uh, trilingual and and works at uh, and another head who's the head of psychology at West Point. Right? Like, I mean, my friend's resumes are crazy, um, and and I never saw myself as statistically as smart as them because I didn't rank as high in class. I didn't get as high as the SATs. I didn't get into the same schools. And I was like, okay, cool. So that means I'm dumb because. I wasn't taught until my 30s until a, um, I wasn't taught until my 30s about emotional intelligence. I was just mm. taught that intelligence was math, science, uh, you know, the uh, reading comprehension and things like that. So all those things led to that self-esteem. And I think when I share those things on stage, audience members see themselves a little bit in me. Man, it blows my mind that that subject of talking about emotional intelligence that both of us are brought into companies to teach to young professionals or not just young professionals, professionals in general, what an important subject that's not taught in grade school, not taught in middle school, high school, the same way with money, dollars and cents. It breaks my heart that that's not, that's not taught, but it's amazing as you share those things about yourself, how you once viewed yourself. And I know for all of us, it's an ongoing journey. What stands for me, stands out to me is how very rarely as human beings, we, how we don't see ourselves the way others see us. Like when I look at you, right? And I know the story you're talking about is past tense, but when I, you know, I look at you as the most smart, compelling, funny, engaged, dynamic, uh, all these words I can describe you with is just, um, in short, amazing, but how sometimes we don't see ourselves the same way. And we have to remind ourselves sometimes that we have to treat ourselves the way we would treat a friend. And it's so rare. Like if a, tr- a friend was going through what we are going through, how would we treat them? And if we can treat ourselves the same way, what a huge gift, especially as it relates to feedback and self-talk. I want to just go somewhere real quick just to get your two cents on this. You mentioned something about body image, though you didn't use that word directly. In the landscape, the societal landscape, it seems like when we talk about body Im- image, James, it primarily relates to, to women. Very rarely do I hear anything relating to to men so what is your perspective on on body image with men and is it something that's just not acceptable to talk people don't see it as acceptable to talk about publicly yeah for sure uh i, I so i would say two points to what you said earlier that was brilliantly said uh, to, uh one thought that i had on that was that uh i think that uh from a young age we're taught to be kind to everyone else um but I didn't learn until I was like 32 to be kind to myself. Right. Uh, and, uh, so it, and when it comes to things now like body image, uh, when it comes to things like body image, yeah, men, men aren't taught to be external processors. It is more societally acceptable for men to be internal processors. And it's more societally acceptable for women to be external processors, regardless of what they actually are. Um, and, and uh, so that's an interesting place to come from because we, as men are taught to figure it out, come up with a solution and then present it to people in a nice little box, right? Men are supposed to be fixers. Uh, men are supposed to have answers. Men are supposed to be tough, better supposed like all those kind of things. And so we are not, not taught to share our insecurities 
And that is why so many men feel alone. Mm. Right? I mean, we don't have to look any further than the suicide statistics in, in this country um, and in the world, right? Men are by far killing themselves at a way higher rate than women are. Um, and I'm not saying it, it all ties back to this, but it, I think it would be an unfortunate through line for us to ignore. And so there is a lot of power in, in talking to somebody and finding community. And I think if we talked a little bit more, uh, we would hurt ourselves a little bit less and realize that we're not alone. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I know you across the country have done plenty of events with men retreats. You've done talks specifically for male audiences on college campuses. After those talks, and these men come up to you, regardless of age, are there any consistent threads of the things that they're dealing with experiencing that they just haven't been able to say out loud to to friends or their community? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the men come up to me. The first thing I would say is thank you. Um, thank you for saying something that I've always had in my heart and my head and, and just like, Hey, thank you. And there's, there's a lot of times where even after my talk, I do this talk called men work in progress, where I talk to men about why we choose cool over great. Mm. Why do we choose cool over great? And how is that hurting us? The reasons why we choose cool over great um, and some of the fears behind that. And then instead of talking about those fears, uh, what are the coping strategies that we come up with uh, that aren't as healthy? Um, And so so those men come up to me. And even after sharing a whole bunch of stories of my own throughout that talk, uh, men come up to me and you can see they're kind of welled up. They got the, you know, they got the apple, they got the apple they're trying to choke down in their, uh, in their throat. Um, and even after that, people just like, hey, uh, just, uh, <clears throat> uh, I just want to say thank you, bro. Uh, talk, uh, talk hit me. All right, I got it. I got to go. I got to go. And right. And like, so even in that moment, like, I try to keep those, I pull those men aside real quick and be like, listen, brother, whatever you're going through, let's talk about it, right? Here's the number. Here's the email. Let's have a conversation with the brother. You are never going to waste my time, which is, I think, mm. something that a lot of men are afraid of, humans in general, but men in particular are afraid that they are going to be a burden on somebody else. And so I'm very quick to tell people, you will never waste my time. So let's have a conversation. When you say that, you will never waste my time or you're never going to waste my time. One, I think about how many people need to hear that. But also, that also translates to two other words. I'm here. Two of the most powerful words that we can say to anyone. Mm. I'm here. During those challenging times, I think, not, of course, men need to hear it. Women need to, women need to hear it as well. But you will never waste my time is something that young folks across the country, old folks across the country need to hear. So I'm, I'm glad you, you share that with them. So I want to get back to you on that stage and, that, and that, your friend sharing those words with you that, um, that audience dude, they're, they're not, they're not, a they're not laughing with you. That's, that's more of a sympathy laugh for you, James. <laughs> how did that change you and who you were on the stage as a comedian moving forward, uh, maybe even as a speaker. So I know you, you of course, you, you give keynote speeches. To this day, you still do uh, amazing improv. How did that change what you present on stage? Yeah, I mean, it came down to the idea of trying to be kinder to myself. That's like, listen, I'm, I'm taking myself out of the game before I'm even able to play it. Uh, 
we have the opportunity to define who we are and how will we how we will be seen by other people um, and how we make other people feel. And so in that moment, in that moment, I was like, that is the opposite of what I want people to feel when they are around me. I want people like like we've talked about to feel safe, to feel comfortable, to feel like we can hang out and talk for hours. Uh, and and so if I'm not creating an environment where that happens, then I've got to change. Um, and so I started being kinder to myself. The way that I would tell jokes about myself, would it just shifted. Um, but it also, it, it had a bigger impact. And the reason why I shared is not because it all of a sudden changed my stand-up career and I was on Fallon the next night, um, but <laughs> uh, because it changed the way that I talked about myself to friends. It changed the way that I talked to myself uh, about uh, talked about myself to supervisors, the way I asked questions, the way I looked for feedback. Um, because in that moment, I realized that like this is this is the moment where I can define that. I live my life based on what I want to be said in my eulogy. Mm. And and that was one of the times where I really started to think that. I mean, maybe the a psychology course that I took in college helped as well, right? We talk about existentialism and I had a psychology professor that talked about the moment is more important than what comes after the moment and uh, and and uh, and so that was really powerful to think about. It's like, okay, so what are these people going to say about me at my eulogy? What story am I writing both in my own life and in their eyes about my life? Uh, and so, yeah. That's a powerful way to live your life, thinking about your eulogy. And I'm just thinking about someone reading mine saying, Antonio Neves, his life changed when James Robolata told him that he was fake. And from that moment, his that's okay. That was not funny. Maybe it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Last question I wanted to ask you. And you know, the genesis of this podcast, James, is that I really believe there are so many people, and you you know these people because you see them on corporate stages, on college uh, stages beyond, that truly think that the best thing to happen to them is behind them as opposed to ahead of them. And I didn't want to make this podcast because I want people to know that the best thing to happen to them hasn't happened yet because they are awake, they are living, they are breathing. I can think back, we won't get into the details now, when you and I were having some conversations and you were experiencing some things and there may have been a moment when James Robillard thought, wow, best things are behind me as opposed to ahead of me. But you made some really powerful, not easy decisions to shift your life to ensure the best was ahead, not behind you. All that is a long preamble to ask you, James, for those people listening to this that possibly believe the best thing to happen to them is behind them, what would you say about the approach they could take to ensure the best days are ahead? Yeah, for sure. And I love this question, Antonio. Uh, and I think what I would say is, you know, it's funny, you and I as speakers, as, as, as entertainers, we have, a lot of, we have a lot of phrases that we come up with and that we say pretty frequently. Um, and there's one that my, my wife likes to pick on me about. Um, and she said, uh, she said, James, you always say, uh, I'm, uh, I'll never be afraid to have a conversation. Or she'll say, uh, I'm not one to turn down a conversation. And that's one of the biggest things for me is like, there are doors that are opening in front of us left and right. But if we are too uh, if we are too sheltered in the idea that like, no, nah, I'm good where I am, then we're never seeing the possibility. Right. And this is, uh, this is, the, it goes back to the most cheesy sayings, right. When a closed door, another one opens, yada, yada, yada. Um, but ultimately it comes down to, don't be afraid to have the conversation. Don't be afraid to let other people's words impact you. And, and that's one thing that I've done. That's how I've gotten a lot of opportunities that I have gotten is just like, I just had the conversation. 
right? And I, I made the phone call or, or, or I just, I stayed a little bit longer at the event or I, whatever it is, um, don't say no to a conversation and let that conversation hit you. I love that. And I love that from a perspective of different events that we've been to over the years where I definitely have, have been the guy sometimes to go to bed a little bit early and leave when some of the good conversations are starting to happen for, for a variety of reasons. One thing I've loved observing you is your willingness to say yes, your willingness to engage in those conversations, exactly what you're talking about, knowing there's so much value in them. And now, of course, during this time we're recording this in the midst of a pandemic, a lot of those conversations that I, that I could have had, James, I wish I actually had them. And I will have those kind of conversations moving forward. Man, I, I got to say, I, I'm so happy we've had you as a guest on this podcast. This has been fun for me. I mean, even I, I feel like we're just having a conversation across from one another at a at a diner. Uh, so, so I love this. Uh, for folks that want to learn more about you, uh, where would you like to send them on the interwebs? Yeah, for sure. It's James T. Robo everywhere. James T. Robo.com. James at James T. Robo is the email address. James T. Robo on Instagram and posting some meaningful content on YouTube. My Facebook page is also James T. Robo. So yeah, let's hang out, y'all. Perfect. Well, James Robolata, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you making time. We're going to have you on again and uh, take care of yourself, man. I appreciate you, brother. You be well. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.